Hi, everybody. It's John Dickerson. Welcome or welcome back to the Connection Point podcast. At the end of this episode, I'd encourage you to take a moment and check out cp.news on your web browser. Connection Point is a church that is fully online, and you can follow Jesus one day at a time from anywhere in the world with us. Well, I pray this message inspires you and challenges you today to take your next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. Well, thank you, Connection Point. Uh, it's, it's always a joy to be here. Um, God bless you for being here. Uh, to the online family that's out there, that you are so dear to us. We're thankful for you. And if you're away traveling on this Memorial Day weekend, uh, thanks for joining in and connecting with us this way. Um, This is Memorial Day and we do want to honor those that have paid the ultimate price in laying their lives down for us in recent or generations past so that we can enjoy the freedom that we have. Um, My goodness, we're so thankful for those. Um, we, we today have this privilege just to kind of continue to cultivate our relationship with God. And I'm just wondering if you enjoy your actual relationship with God. That's all I want to talk about today is, is your relationship, that you'd have an actual relationship with him. There, there might be some of you that would say, you know what, I don't, I don't think I have a relationship with God. I'm not sure I want one or I'm still trying to figure it out. Others of you might be going, you know what, I, I'm new to this whole thing. I do have a relationship with Jesus, but it's brand new. It just happened maybe last weekend when Michael Jr. was here or it's been in the last couple of weeks. Others of you, you would say, you know what, Jesus rescued me many, many years ago. And I know I've got a relationship with him. But uh, you know as well as I do, kind of regardless of where you're on the journey, having a relationship with God is a bit of an odd sort of thing because you can't see him or experience him the same way tangibly that you do like the people right around you. And so it can be difficult to develop an actual relationship with God. So play with me for just, just a moment. I want you to picture... It looks like me with a smaller nose, but um, I want you to picture for just a moment that uh, this represents God, okay? Now, I know, this is just for the purpose of an illustration. God doesn't look anything like this. He's actually spirit, so it would be completely different than this, but just go with me for just a moment. You get into the relationship with God, and you go, okay, God, this is kind of cool, me and you right now. We're in the relationship. Here we go. But the reality is, God, here's the deal. Um, I know we're, we're kind of having a relational thing going on here, but for the next like two or three days, God, I'm gonna be hanging out with uh, some people and um, we're gonna have some conversations that I don't really want you to hear. There's gonna be some words coming out of my mouth and probably words coming out of their mouth that quite honestly, I don't think you should be listening to. So if you don't mind, God, I don't want to presume too much on you, God, but if you don't mind, um, w- would, you, would you just wear these for just, just for a couple, no, I, I'm sorry, J- just for a couple days, God. I don't want you to listen to the words that are coming out of my mouth. So just keep those on, and I think it'll be better for, for both of us, really, really, honestly. 
Well, and then while we're at it too, it's not just the words that are coming out of my mouth that I don't want you to listen to, but there's probably some things uh, that I'll do or they'll do or will do that I don't really want you to see either. And so, um, you know, while we're at it, I hope these fit okay for you, God. Um, if you could just kind of wear these, I don't want you to listen to the words coming out of my mouth, and I don't want you to watch me. Don't, don't, don't look at what I'm doing, please. And, you know, you're super wise. I'm sure you've got some sort of warning for me or admonition or maybe even some wise counsel or whatever. That is kind of what you do. So, uh, I, don't wanna, I don't want you to listen to what I'm saying or see what I'm doing. And I also, if, you know, respectfully, just don't say anything, please. Just, just for the next two or three days, God. And then it hits you. You know, this is not appropriate. This isn't the right thing for me and God. And I shouldn't be operating this way. And then... Who am I? Who am I to be able to dictate to God what he can see or hear or say? Like, I'm, I'm in no position to do that. You're in no position to do that. So apologies, God. I, I, I can't dictate that stuff to you. So, you know, please forgive me. But what I can do is I can deal with me. And so, you know what, God, for the next two or three days, I'm just not going to listen to you. I, I don't want to hear what you have to say, just, just at least for a little season here, God. And then, honestly, too, I don't really want to see what you're up to. I don't want to observe how you're operating or guiding or directing me. So I don't want to listen to you. I don't want to see you. And, uh, you know, while we're at it, I really don't want to talk to you either. <laughs> Should have done this in a different order. <laughs> I don't want to talk to you either. Nice try, God, but no, I'm Dear friends, you get, right, that amongst many other problems that you could see in something like that is that's not relationship. If you and I interacted with any other person in that regard, I, I don't want to talk to you. I don't want to listen to you. I don't want to interact with you. How would the relationship go? And yet God, God is so gracious with us. He understands the challenges that come, I'm sure, with being in a relationship with him. John, the disciple whom Jesus loved, probably the youngest of the 12 disciples when Jesus was here on earth, John records two interactions with Jesus that were particularly stunning to me. In his own gospel, John recorded a moment where 
all the disciples and Jesus are gathered for a meal. They had low-slung tables, and they were all reclined. You would literally lay down around the table back then. And they're reclined around the table, enjoying the company and a good meal. And John records about himself that he was leaned back against the chest of Jesus. Two times in like two verses, he lets you and I know, I was leaned back against Jesus' chest. And that image to me is so special and so stunning. Can you imagine relating to God that closely that you could hear the heartbeat of God? I want that. I want that level of closeness and intimacy that that Jesus even invited that, that he allowed that, that he desired that level of friendship and closeness with, with the people that he loved. It is something that is so meaningful to me. It's a great picture in his humanity of the type of guy that Jesus was, but it reflects an awful lot about the relational desires that he has with us. Then you fast forward to Revelation, the book of Revelation, which John, same John, also penned. And in Revelation chapter one, here, John records the the divine Jesus. Here he records another relational moment with his friend Jesus, but now it's divine Jesus in all his glory because Jesus wasn't just some guy, he's also God Almighty. And now when he sees Jesus in all his divinity, his hair white like wool, his eyes blazing like fire, the sound of his voice is is like rushing waters, there's a sword coming out of his mouth, all this fantastical symbolism And he's so overtaken by Jesus in his divinity that he falls down at the feet of Jesus as though he were dead. His reaction was not, let me go rush up and put my head on your chest, but rather, my goodness, you are God Almighty. And he falls down on his face. And yet I love what Jesus does next. Because even in his divinity, He had just been holding seven stars in his hand, his right hand, and then he reaches down with the same hand that was holding stars to comfort John and say, don't be afraid. That's quite the spectrum. It's the spectrum of how we might all relate to God in some capacity. There are many of you that, that understand the closeness and the intimacy really well. There are others of you that understand the divinity and uh, the, the, the complete otherness of God, and that's more natural for you. If, if you're taking notes or whatever, you might want to jot down and process for yourself a handful of ways that you might naturally, uh, primarily uh, uh, default to when it comes to how you relate to God. One might be you'd say, I don't. (laughs) I don't relate to God. I don't think I have a relationship with God. I don't know how to go about doing that. If that's you, all you need to know is God loves you more than you can possibly imagine and he's already done 
everything necessary in sending his son Jesus to make a way for you to have a relationship with God. See, our sin separates us from a relationship with God, but rather than leave us that way, Jesus came to take away the sin when he died on the cross and rose from the grave to reconcile a broken relationship between us and God. And he did that for you. It's a free gift offered to you. And he would very much like to be in relationship with you. And there's a people that are part of this church community or part of this church staff or even some helpful people online that right now you got questions and you go, you know what, I, I would like to start my relationship with Jesus. Then you talk to someone and they will walk you through it. For those of you that are already Christians, you go, you know what, I, I think I relate primarily to God naturally as master. God is my master, he's my Lord, and so that makes us what? A servant or a slave. And, and there's something to that, that God is our master, he is Lord. But if you only relate to God as master, there is a likelihood over time that you, you, you could just be very exhausted in your relationship with God. You might have a constant sense of feeling like I'm never doing enough as the servant for my master. And so understanding him as master is one aspect, but I don't know that it's the best primary lens to look through your relationship with. And you might go, okay, well, um, I think I primarily naturally relate to God as holy and almighty and righteous that completely other than me being. And he is all of those things, and that's important to understand in your relationship as well. He is divine, he is God, and we are not. But if you are primarily, if you are only relating to God as holy and almighty, then you might have a sense of always being scared of him, you might have the sense that he's always just kind of upset and angry, especially when you're wandering off and not doing what you should be doing, that he's kind of always ready to zap you, or that he's just so other than you that he's just distant. And the idea of a relationship with him almost seems inappropriate. Others, you don't have that trouble. You've got this other issue where your primary relation point is God's my buddy. Remember those t-shirts? If you own one, I apologize, but they were stupid. It said, Jesus is my homeboy. Okay, nice. Keep wearing it. That's fine. I, I understand. But God's more than your homeboy, and he, he should be more than your buddy. I love that Jesus himself said, I have called you friends. Man, that's humbling. And there is a friendship that he does desire with us, but he doesn't desire that we only regard him as a friend or a buddy. He's not just a cosmic peer. And if he's only your friend, then the grace side of God you may appreciate, but do you really feel like you can go to him when you need something that requires supernatural power and deliverance? if he's just your buddy? Is there a respect, an honor, a reverence that's there? But I would love to talk just briefly about God 
in our relationship as the perfect parent. Because God is the perfect parent. I think he embodies all that comes with being the perfect parent, and that is both the strength and the affection. It's the both and. Scripture says often that he is our father. Jesus taught us how to pray, how to talk to our father by saying, starting out our prayer with our father who art in heaven. Jesus had kids rush up to him, and he said, don't prevent kids from coming to me. In fact, you all, all of you adults, should come to me as children. And so again, it reinforces this this kind of understanding of God as a perfect parent. And while father is the term that the scripture uses, and it's a good term for us to understand, he's He's the perfect father. He embodies everything that should be in a father and more. But God's not male. He's not female. He's spirit. And so he also embodies everything about the perfect mother. And that's why, you know, when you say, as soon as you say, relate to God as the perfect parent, Tons of you are going, my dad was horrible. And if God wants to relate to me in the same manner that my dad did, forget it. Or my mom, for that matter. Or maybe there's enough life past and you have some personal moments of regret as a dad or a mom, and you look back and you go, man, I didn't do that right. Okay, I understand that. That's a lot of our stories today. But please, we've got to stop doing that. Because what God is talking about here is the perfect father. Even if you didn't have a good example, you can picture what the perfect father, father could have been like or should have been like. The perfect mother, the perfect parent could have been like or should have been like. And when you start to kind of drill down on that a little bit, you, you begin to scratch the surface of the perfect parent that God is. You're his kids, and he is the perfect parent. And so please, can we just pause, at least for the purposes of the next 10, 15 minutes, can we press the pause button on us trying to be useful to God. Especially to earn his love. I don't love my kids because they're useful to me. I love my kids just because they're my kids. And quite frankly, there's nothing that they could do that could make me stop loving them. But for some reason, when it comes to us and our relationship with God, we, we think, well, I gotta bring the right sacrifice, I gotta do the right thing and avoid the wrong thing, and I gotta, I gotta be useful. Yeah, God can use you. God can work through you. God's got a purpose for you. But for now, 
Stop trying to be useful and instead just rest, please, in the reality that you are simply delightful to your heavenly daddy. He delights in you just because you're his, because he made you. In, in Romans, the book of Romans is phenomenal. If you've got your Bible, you can turn there to Romans. If you've got the phone with the Bible app, you can flip there too. Romans is so rich. And we're going to be in Romans chapter 8, which in and of itself is incredibly rich. Romans chapter 8 begins a discussion about what life looks like in the flesh versus in the spirit. It kind of contrasts when we are living life led by our flesh, our mind, uh, our desires, our will, versus what life looks like when we are led by the Spirit of God. And it turns out that one of the main differences is a relationship. When we're led by the flesh, we're detaching from the relationship with God and basically just saying, whatever I think, whatever I feel, whatever I want, whatever I will, that shall be done. But life led by the Spirit as its foundation says, I'm in a relationship with the God of the universe and his Spirit is active in me as a Christian. And out of that relationship, listening and talking He will guide me the way the Spirit wants to guide me. And he will reinforce some things the way he wants to reinforce. And then in Romans chapter 8, look at verse 15. It says, so you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Super quick. Listen to me. If you're a child of God, you are not a slave. You're his son. You're his daughter. You're not a slave. And that's huge. You're not the older brother in the prodigal story who thought he'd just been around to slave for his father year after year. You're not the younger brother in the prodigal story who thought he could only come back in the household if you were willing to be made a slave. What is the father in that story reinforced that's what God wants to reinforce? To both of them, he says, you're my son. You're my kid. You were never meant to be my slave. Then he continues on. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children, now we call him Abba, Father. Abba kind of means daddy. You're not a slave, and what's more, you're adopted into his family. You're an adopted one of his kids. You're not even so much just his biological kid. You were adopted by God through Jesus Christ. Now, our adoptions today are very special, but how they go about 
today are different than, say, in the Old Testament and Hebrew culture, they had provisions for adoption that were fascinating. In the Roman culture that Paul is speaking to here in this letter, in the New Testament, I think as soon as Paul used the word, you were adopted into the family, that lit up everybody's mind and heart. Christians and those that would hear about it in the Roman culture that weren't Christians because they were familiar with adoption. What was fascinating is, you know, unfortunately, as long as I'm aware on planet Earth in history, the disgusting, vile, not of God's heart practice of slavery has existed. It's sickening. And it existed here in this day. But in this Roman culture, apparently there were slave owners that woke up and had a heart change, many of whom would want to adopt as a kid one of the people that had been a slave of theirs. But in this particular case, in Roman culture, what they had to do to adopt a slave was first set that slave free, thank God. Second, they would make that slave that had just been set free a citizen of Rome. And then third, they would adopt him into the family and then give him all the rights, privileges, honors that came with being a part of that household. And that three-step process is the same one that I think God wants to drill home about me and you and our adoption. That, that first, through Jesus, he sets us free from the slavery of sin. Second, he, he makes us a citizen of God's kingdom. And then third, Third, he adopts us into his family and gives us all the rights and privileges of what it is to be the son or daughter of the king of kings and the lord of lords. That's huge. It, it turns out that in, in Roman culture, it was kind of crazy. Even like biological children, biological children could be rejected or disowned but not adopted kids. Adopted kids could never be disowned. And so another layer of meaning for me and you being adopted into the family, we are set free and we are made citizens and we're brought into the family and that's something that can never be taken for us. He will never leave us or forsake us. What a blessing, what a relationship that he has pursued and he has made possible for me and you. What a gift. There's always a price with adoption. There's a price today, there was a price back then. There's a price when it comes to our spiritual adoption, right? And what's the price for us to be adopted into God's family? Blood. That's a little bit weird, because you ever wonder why there's this emphasis on blood in the Old Testament. You've got the blood of the Passover lamb. You've got the blood of these animal sacrifices needing to be shed. New Testament, this emphasis on the blood of Jesus. It's because that was the price of transaction to 
purchase me and you out of slavery and into a relationship with God. But blood doesn't compute for us today because we don't use blood as a financial transaction. We, we don't get it. We wouldn't get it either, though, if we went back to the 1800s when they you know, used beaver pelts to, for money. You know, oh, here's 14 beaver pelts and then give me the canoe. Oh, cool. We'd be like, what in the world are you doing? Any more than if you brought those people from the 1800s to us today and showed them Apple Pay. And they'd be like, what is this? This is just beeps and air. There's no transaction here. What are you talking about? Well, blood is similarly odd for us. But you know what? It, just, it doesn't even matter. Here's what matters. Is that God set the price for the adoption. And then God himself paid the price. Man, that kills me. Jesus said, I will volunteer to pay the price in my blood. God didn't set the price low, did he? And Jesus said, I'll be faithful to that. I'll pay the price with my blood to purchase your creation into a relationship with me, out of slavery, into the family. And then we're co-heirs with Christ then. He's our spiritual big brother we've got our heavenly daddy. And that's where it wraps up. Look at verse 16 and 17. For his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. I hope you're having that affirmed today. Verse 17. And since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. But if we are to share his glory we must also share his suffering. You're not a slave, you're an adopted kid of God's and that means you're an heir, there's an inheritance coming. Some of that includes some glory and we all like the glory part but it also means some suffering part, none of us like that part. It's just a subtle reminder that hey, just because we're God's kids doesn't mean we're not gonna go through some suffering and sometimes the suffering we go through is actually a result of being one of his kids. Taking on his name brings sometimes some different degree of suffering. But did you know that every single human being on planet Earth experiences suffering? But for the children of God, it means you don't have to experience the suffering alone. It means that your heavenly daddy is aware of your suffering hurting for you in your suffering, is going to make sense of your suffering in due time. There's gonna be a purpose for it, and it's gonna end in glory. The glory part of the inheritance is going to outweigh the suffering part of the inheritance. Thank God for that. And in the midst of the suffering, right here and right now, you can be honest with him about it. Did you know that? You can be honest about your struggles. You can be honest about the sin struggles. You can be honest about the suffering that you're facing. Tell him. He already knows what you're dealing with. You can be honest, you don't have to fake it. We get so good at faking it as Christians. 
oh, we're weird as Christians, aren't we? Ran over the tractor with my dog last week. But God is good. Billy got stuck in the well for three and a half weeks, but the Lord's providing. Oh, stop it. I think I got the worst life on planet Earth. But I'm rejoicing, brother, because God is good. You know, life can be bad and God can still be good. We can be honest with him in our suffering. And he hears us and then there's something about our suffering that actually has the opportunity to bring us closer to God when we're honest. The Psalms give us permission. Let me read Psalm 13 to you real quick. It's very short. It's a psalm of King David's, and tell me if this is not honest. Tell me if this is not pouring out your heart. What permission we've got. What an amazing relationship. Oh, Lord, how long will you forget me? Forever? How long will you look the other way? How long must I struggle with anguish in my soul, with sorrow in my heart every day? How long will my enemy have the upper hand? Turn and answer me, O oh Lord my God. Restore the sparkle to my eyes or I will die. You ever felt that way? Tell him. I think our country's feeling that way now with all the violence and horror of these last few weeks. We can pray prayers of lament like this and be completely transparent about these sorts of things. Verse four, don't let my enemies gloat saying we have defeated him. Don't let them rejoice at my downfall. And then verse five, look, but I will trust in your unfailing love. I will rejoice because you have rescued me. I will sing to the Lord because he is good to me. This is what suffering with your heavenly daddy sounds like. This is what it sounds like to be honest and talk to your dad that knows what you're dealing with. I've had those moments where I haven't talked to God for months because I've been upset or hurting. And then I'm driving down the road and I go, I don't even wanna talk to you. You just did. Oh, okay, I guess we could do this then. And it breaks that tension and you just start talking to him about it. So again, if you're taking notes, if you want to continue to press deeper into an actual relationship with your heavenly daddy, then do these things. There's probably a ton more that you can, here's a handful. One, slow down. Slow your life down. Be intentional about it. You ever try to have a really good, solid relationship with someone who is busy all the time? How's that work? The same in our relationship with God, you gotta slow down. Second, be completely transparent with him, honest with him, pour out your heart to him. He already knows what you're dealing with, you don't need to fake it. Next, soak in what he's speaking to you in his word. He's already spoken so much, he knows what you're going through. You can talk to him in prayer, you can listen to him in his word. And then ultimately, please would you do this, just rest. Rest in his unfailing love as your daddy that delights in you. Just for a little while, 
Don't worry about what you need to do in the relationship. Just enjoy him. Rest in what he has already provided, what he's already done to make the relationship possible in the first place. I guarantee you'll enjoy it more. And so it's like this. George, I'm going to bring my friend George out. George, I want to give a round of applause. That'll help him come out this direction. Awesome. Great. Thank you, boss. Love you, George. Love you too, Ron. Well, um, I just would love for just a moment for you to pretend that uh, my friend George is Jesus. Okay? It's not a stretch. Trust me. George is Jesus. So when we first get into that relationship, we go, oh, okay, it's kind of like we link arms with him, and apparently, Jesus, wherever I go, you got to go. I got to take you to school, and I got to take you to work, and oh, no, I remember those people. I don't want to be seen with you, with them, so here, let's come over here. Um, and no, let's, no, I don't want to go over there yet, Jesus. We kind of, no, really, Jesus, really, just kind of leave me, okay. You know, and it's kind of clunky at first. Then you realize that's not appropriate. I gotta take this more seriously. I'm in a relationship with the God of the universe. So Jesus, what I think what you want me to do is I need to kind of just be able to carry you into every situation, every relationship, every place that I go. I need to do the work and carry you with me. I think that's probably what you have in mind. So why don't you just piggyback on me, Jesus, as we go through. Go ahead, Jesus. Okay, okay, okay. All right. All right, cool. Jesus, let's, uh, let's head over here, Jesus, and let's go over here, Jesus, and oh my goodness, I thought you said the yoke is easy and the burden is light, Jesus, but that ain't the case, Jesus. This is, this is kind of exhausting, if I'm honest, Jesus, and I don't think I can hold this up for very long, Jesus. Okay, okay, I guarantee you, if this is your understanding of your relationship with Jesus, you're going to be exhausted. You're going to pull a hammy. <laughs> And at some point, you're going to let Jesus down. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm good. It's not what Jesus intends for me and you. The reality is the invitation of Jesus is, uh, is a beautiful thing. When Jesus calls you into a relationship, it's actually a little bit more like this. Jesus is saying... Why don't you piggyback on me? Let's frame it up that way. Saddle up. All right. And now, wherever Jesus goes, that's where you're going. He's doing all the work, and you just rest in him. And I can tell you right now, this is a whole lot better arrangement. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. You're Thanks, George. Thank you. And so, precious friends and family, I don't really know what you do with the message like this today other than nothing but rest in the relationship that he's already provided, knowing he's your heavenly daddy and he delights in you. Rest in that this week. And so gracious Heavenly Father, I thank you so much. I thank you for you pursuing me. I thank you for you making a way 
to have an actual relationship with you. Forgive me for the times where, Lord, I, uh, I take it for granted or I disconnect from you, try to fake it around you. And I thank you, God, that I, that doesn't have to be the way that this goes. And so, Lord, I pray for all of us that you would just, in that kind, gentle way that you, you have about you, you just continue to whisper to us your love, remind us of who we are, but also, God, would you remind us more and more just of who you are. You are our perfect parent, our heavenly Abba. Thank you. Thank you, thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, if today's episode encouraged you or helped you in any way, we would invite you to keep following Jesus with us. We send out a daily video text devotional. You can receive that. And you can learn how to gather with us online or in person for our weekend services. All of that is available over at cp.news. That's the letter C, the letter P.news on your phone or desktop or tablet browser. Thanks again for joining us. And please join me again next week for the Connection Point Podcast.